But at the same time, there's this explosion of things that Jews, that younger Jews are choosing to do. Um, and so the, the most interesting studies about, about Jews in their 20s and 30s are coming out of the Hillel movement, the, those people who work with Jews who are, uh, who are on campuses in college and graduate school. And what they conclude are, you know, they make a number of, of interesting observations. One is that, uh, well, I guess I'll pick out some of their, their language here. Um, they use an interesting metaphor that's very 21st century. They say that identity, identity is like the desktop of your computer. And it works better if you're a PC person. I was just converted recently. I had my, went to the mikveh and became a Macintosh. But, um, <laughs> the, uh, Macintosh. The, the, um, but you think at least about the, uh, in the Microsoft system, right, you have windows and you can make them larger or smaller. You can open them or close them. And, um, and this is how young people relate to, to all their commitments these days, um, that, uh, that, that life is a series of, uh, of windows, and identities are windows. And, and our goal, what Hillel people say, is our goal is to get you to open, just to click on the Jewish, the Jewish one and open that window for more of the time. Operate in that world, use that, that application, so to speak. Um, but you're free, you know, you can shrink the window, it can be there, but, or you can just close it entirely. And, and, this is the, and this is the reality. People click in and click out. More than ever before, Jews in their 20s and 30s perceive themselves as having multiple identities. We, the fun thing which we do in youth activities is we, we say, you know, okay, uh, are you more, if you, if you consider yourself you know, a Jewish American, go over there. If you consider yourself an American Jew, go over there. Well, um, as it gets to their 20s and 30s, Jews aren't, aren't playing that game anymore. I'm Jewish, I'm American, I'm Catholic, I'm... <coughs> I'm Jewish, I'm American, I'm from New England, or I used to live, my parents came from South America, or I'm an artist, or you know, this is the music I like, and all those things weigh in the same way. And so people will choose to, so what the Hillel people have noticed is that younger Jewish people um, don't make uh, permanent choices about who to gather with. Um, people join groups informally. Uh, people can join multiple groups, and you know, Facebook uh, is a wonderful example. You, once you're in the bigger, once you're attached to that world, you can be part of any number of groups that you want, and at any point, if something's going on that's relevant to you, you get together with that group of people. And this is how it is for, for younger people generally, and certainly for younger Jews. Um, I will get together with a group of people to do this thing, and if I like them or like that thing, we'll keep doing it, and if I don't, I'll go spend my time elsewhere. The other thing is that the boundaries around what around Jewish people doing meaningful things, the social boundaries are much more permeable. So the Matsisiahu concert has Jews and non-Jews. And it's not just that some Jews went and some people who aren't Jewish went, but they went together. They got together together to go to the concert. And um, one of my one of my friends is the Hillel Rabbi at um, at uh, Northwestern says, um, Jews want to do Jewish things with Puerto Ricans doing Puerto Rican things at the same time. Like that's, that's what it is. And so a lot of this fervor for, a lot of this artistic stuff and a lot of this social justice commitment are people showing up at the same place um, with other people, um, but with kind of different, coming from different points of origin, different identities. So you see, um, so, and, and the crop walk is, is a wonderful example of that too. This is what, this is what we do, and more and more. We, we will come as a Jewish community to, to participate, and then we will, we will blend in with all the other folks from the other churches and the other communities to do something common that's meaningful to all of us, kind of in the same way, and then we might go back or we might not, and talk about it differently in our, in our home places. Um, but, um, but Jews are not willing to draw a Jewish line around the social group nearly as much as we used to. 
and, um, and, uh, and, and Jews are looking for ways to, to um, exp uh, find a sense, of, uh, a sense of self and a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose, but, um, but not to do that in exclusion of other people. Um, not at all. And it's interesting, even though these studies also say that, that Jewish, you know, if we have this image of, you know, the 60s generation and the Jews who, as I say, went off to march with, uh, with Martin Luther King or, or were part of the, the counterculture and all of its form, if we think that that's the trend, it's not so much the trend. It turns out that, that Jewish, Jewish teenagers and Jewish college students are much more uh, conventional, parent-pleasing sorts than Jews were a generation ago. Um, so maybe some of this is coming off of the parents. Maybe it's the baby boom or the, or the parents who grew up in the 60s who are, who are giving something off to, uh, but kids are much more professionally minded and kids are much more kind of uh, career and success minded than Jewish students were a generation ago. These kinds of things are happening. But it's all done in these kind of informal, um, personal choosing terms. And, um, and the groups that are kind of, um, gathering Jews who are in their 20s and 30s these days are often, they're either artistic groups or activities, you go to on an intense trip to Israel, or um, there's an explosion of uh, what's being called in the literature uh, emergent communities, which mean um, really from the grassroots. They're not looking to places like this that are already built, but are looking to, uh, to do something themselves. Uh, I just got a note for a conference of, of independent minyanim, um, people who actually do like shul, you can imagine, like it's enough that Jews, Jewish kids would like to go to shul, but they don't want to go to our shul. They want to, they want to set their own thing, um, with their own, with kind of their own structure of leadership and their own intensity. Um, pulling against all of this, there is this incredible growth in, um, this incredible growth in, uh, I guess I would call it like authenticity, the search for authenticity. On the one hand, there's a large group of, of Jews who, who want to kind of do it ourselves in our way, in a way that's meaningful for us. Um, but at the same time, there, there's a pullback from that, too. There's a reaction that says, no, I want to I do the real thing. Don't give me this watered-down stuff. And they'll either, um, and, uh, and this is why actually on campuses, for instance, um, the other thing that's really big is Chabad. Um, is Lubavitch. And the reason that, one of the reasons that Lubavitch is, is big is not because people want necessarily to become Orthodox to be, take on a completely traditional lifestyle, um, but they do like to, to be around that and like the vibe of being near something which seems, uh, which seems authentic. It's a really interesting thing. Um, Chabad's got another thing going which is, uh, which is interesting, which is the, the model for participation is, is completely different. For most of our Jewish organizations, it's a, there's a kind of fee structure. You have to, it costs something to be, to be Jewish. You have to want it enough to, you have to value it enough to, to put a financial value, whether it's synagogue membership or a contribution to a Jewish cause or buying kosher food. These things, these things cost. And, um, and the cost is by and large spread out among the participants. And Lubavitch operates on a completely different model, which is um, they're, what they're selling is authenticity. And, um, but they don't think that people want it enough to buy it at, for its true cost. So, um, so Lubavitch is floated by, by large donors who can give to Lubavitch organizations and make it cheap to participate. Um, you come to dinner, you come to services, they go out to where you are, and, um, and it doesn't cost you to be Jewish, and yet you're, it's sort of a, a loss leader. You're able to, um, you're able to participate um, before you're willing to sink, before you're willing to make the personal investment. Um, uh, I, I don't apologize for the use of all of these uh, kind of market metaphors. It, it's helpful in terms of thinking um, what's going on and the way that, uh, the, way that uh, the way that the next generation, I guess, is thinking about Judaism. 
so it's it's really very interesting because again, to sort of pursue the pursue that that metaphor a little bit, Jews have an incredible set of kind of capital capital infrastructure. We have literally buildings. We have physical places that Jews have built. We have synagogues. We have Jewish offices of communal organizations. We have hospitals and nursing homes and family services. These things exist. They cost something to maintain, and they're and they're there. I mean, they they also they're where professionals work. They're where volunteers gather. They're the whole they're the whole structure. And um, so, what do we do if the next generation don't want it quite this way? You know, it's one thing if we say, well, we'll have let me have a gathering out at Starbucks and we'll have a discussion about you know God. But if people don't want to talk about God, we could talk about Israel. So that that's you know that's easy. We sort of flow. Um, but what if the thing is that people, you know, only want to, don't want to join a thousand member synagogue anymore, you know, at all? We're fortunate in New Hampshire, we don't have that. Um, we don't have synagogues that are that big, so maybe we're, we're small enough. Uh, but what happens if we build something which isn't, which isn't built for um, the next generation? What exactly are we going to do about that? Um, or how are we going to sort of retrofit this, the way that the mills are being, you know, turned into condos, fact, you know, offices, whatever, whatever those things are. What's the thing that we have to do in order to, in order to get there? The generation that's coming, the Jews who are in their 20s and 30s right now, represent uh, more than one-third of the adult Jewish community in America. Uh, I, I have to say I am about to turn 42, and on this definition I am, I am, most, certainly, uh, I am most certainly old. And um, I am sort of uh, I'm sort of over that hill. And as I say, there's they're becoming these polarizations, the 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 uh, the hyper Americanization which we have, and the increasing search for authenticity and for uh, and even for orthodox involvement. Um, the thing which, uh, in some sense, we need to do is we need to be able to our institutions which are here need to be able to do more than one thing. Um, we have, you know, uh, a part of me, as I said in the Minion today, and there were only three of us, and I could hear activity over here as people were setting up, a part of me said, ah, you know, would I kill them to come to Minion? And then I thought, no, that's wrong, that's wrong. Um, it would be nice, you know. But at the same time, the, the idea that, the, the idea, no, so listen no, to the rest of it, you, yeah. Your predecessor... I know, I know, but the, the uh, and uh, and and I got and, and I and I and I got you when when I needed you. But um, but the point is that um, the ability to to think about multiple, I, in order for Jewish institutions and Jewish professionals to to be able to address the Jewish future, we have to we have to get to the point where I say the the spirit. I'm going to put it this way: the spiritual meaning of this gathering, what we're doing here, eating bagels and talking as Jewish people about things that are meaningful, whether it's this or politics or sports down the road. Um, if we, if we rabbis, Jewish leaders, don't take that seriously as an expression, don't welcome that into our building, and if we see it as competition or an either or, um, that's, that's just not gonna work. Um, it may work, there may be able, you may be able to gather a minion in a place, but you won't be able to sustain and do the things that it, that it takes to support a building. And in communities like this, which are smaller, um, it's interesting, an old idea is becoming new. Um, it was Mordechai Kaplan, who was a religious leader, who first came up with the idea of, the, of really the Jewish community center, um, which became you know, a completely not religious place, but the original Jewish centers were you know, shul with a pool, as we say. That was where I went in, uh, in Queens, actually. The Forest Hills Jewish Center was a synagogue um, and, a, and a health club. And, um, the, uh, and the ability to do that, to allow Jews to gather in these spaces for more than just um, traditional ritual observances is key to be able to preserve some kind of organization that would be 
that's that's capital enough to be to be to draw people to a center, um, but that's nimble enough to adapt to the, the different interests and the needs which uh, which Jews are going to have. Um, there are some things that, that are simply built in result of this. We can we have the choice, we have the capacity, we have the even at four dollars a gallon gasoline, we can live. Um, we can live farther away from each other. We don't have neighborhood anymore, and um, and the thing is that's that's gone. Um, and the and the computer does not does not erase that. There are things we can do by Facebook or by podcasts or teleconferencing, uh, but it's not the same. And we have to reconcile to the fact that it's not the same. We we have to f learn a way to be in community, which is um, for some people, for many people, not quite so intense, and which may be more like a, a wheel and and spokes around the edge than it is necessarily like. Everybody has to show up here every week in order to be part of the community. And then we need to come up with ways of valuing the, the outside of the wheel, the way that we value the inside of the wheel. And it's really hard, just from built in from, from uh, you know, no, nobody who cares about a community and, and is passionate and, and is around a place like this as much as, as many people are. It's very, hard to, it's very hard to integrate an idea that you know, it's easier to say concentric circles, you're closer, you're farther, you're farther. Uh, much more difficult to, to say that, um, that each of those things is valued. Um, there are some particular, I just want to sort of point to a couple of, um, a couple of particular challenges and, uh, and one resource and then, and then open it up for some back and forth. I think the group that is, that is uh, feeling this, um, the, the most of any Jewish religious group in the United States is conservative Judaism. Um, I think that at this time, we are, we, are, we are experiencing a period of time where I don't think we can really say uh, for much longer that there are you know, three or four distinct Jewish religious perspectives out there in the American Jewish community. It's becoming much, much more honest to say that there's an orthodox perspective and there's a, another perspective, a liberal perspective. And um, how that's supposed to shape up into institutions is difficult because there's another, there's another thing going on, which is that the... The social, the social grouping doesn't quite map that, that either or, which is we have communities of self-enclosed, traditional, orthodox communities. We have communities where, I was talking to Rabbi Siegel at Betenu, who told me that 80% that of the membership there are families where Jews and non-Jews live together. That's a completely different um, kind of reality than over there. And then we have other communities where it's primarily uh, homes where all the people are Jewish, but, uh, but who don't buy into anything like that sense of, of obligation and halakha, the sense of command, which Jews had in previous generation. And conservative Judaism planted itself you know, right, right, at the, uh, right as the solution to the Hester Street problem, um, as a way to be American and a way to carry on Jewish tradition. Um, but, the, but the agenda has shifted, and what conservative Judaism offers doesn't speak to the questions the way they're being asked by you, I would suspect, and certainly by by, um, by your college-age kids and, and by your younger kids. And uh, my group has to adapt um, a great deal. Um, this kind of group has to adapt to, as I said, Jewish social uh, organizations are kind of um, fraternal, whatever the, the term would be, uh, whether they're sisterhoods or men's clubs, those kinds of organizations. Um, uh, it's interesting to see what will happen. Um, so where are Jews looking for some answers? Um, I'll tell you one place where, where they're looking is, um, you've heard of Rick Warren. Um, the Purpose Driven Life, the Saddleback Church in, uh, I think, in Los Angeles. He was the one who hosted the forum where Obama and McCain came a few weeks ago to talk about faith and politics. Um, but the, but the, uh, the evangelical movement, 
um, doesn't take itself for granted either and has been looking at how to organize, how do you reach people in terms of their own, in terms of personal meaning, uh, whether it's mega churches or these um, small kind of grassrootsy communities. And a lot of Jewish leaders are spending a lot of time with these folks trying to figure out what it is because, that, because they are the most American kind of Christianity which, which has ever existed in Christianity and, uh, and that's the world that we're living into. Um, so I think what's happening is, uh, is very interesting. There's probably, there is more, as I say, there's more money, there is more diversity, there's more creativity, and there's more religious fervor in American Jewish life than maybe there ever was. Probably more and more creative and more fresh and energetic than there was 50 years ago, and more safe and secure than it was 100 years ago. Um, but it's changing, and there's nothing, there's nothing we can stand on that's, that's fixed there that we can rest on. Um, and uh, gosh, we thought it was hard enough to be parents and to sort of pass our values and our, and our way down to our children, but lo and behold, we're living in a time of increasing change. Um, how are we gonna be, whose job is it to be, to be flexible enough and nimble enough to do both things at once, to carry along a 3,000 year legacy and to somehow turn on a dime in the age of the internet? Uh, I know personally that's, that's gotta be my mission. I know as I look at people who are leaders, uh, other professionals, teachers, or leaders, lay leaders of Jewish organizations, it's your mission too. The extent as people and families, it can be your mission, it has to be. Um, and certainly, um, you know, I think about, uh, you know, what I was doing here yesterday was, was dancing and celebrating the bar mitzvah. And when I, when I step out of the sociologist hat and ask myself, how possibly are we going to continue to be as vibrant as, uh, as we have been in the past? Um, we have to remember that even, even what I have to remember is that um, there's a certain amount of planning and reflection that we do, but there has to be the joy in it every day, however often it is that we do something Jewish in our lives. And whether it's going to be like clicking that window today but not clicking that window tomorrow, if whatever that thing is is full enough of joy and of meaning, people will, people will come. It may not be the complete Jewish life that Jews lived before, um, but we need to start with, with meaning and with joy. And, um, and if we do that, we know at least we'll, we'll hold the line, and who knows what will sprout in the new territory that's the, uh, the 21st century.